You're listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org. Well, we're grateful for the Jackson's family and Stephanie, who's a public school teacher. And throughout the month of September, we'll be having a lot of teachers be reading our scripture together. We're grateful for them. Go ahead and keep your Bible open to Psalm 121. We invite you to just camp out there for the next few moments. As we consider a new series entitled Be Anxious for Nothing, has there been a time in our lifetimes where there's been more widespread and long-term anxiety as we've experienced in recent days? If we think of the anxieties that we experience as layers of a cake, the first layer is certainly the things that we normally concern ourselves with. Finances, caring for the next generation, caring for the elderly. But on top of all that, A virus from China has paused almost every aspect of society. It's changed the way that we function in schools, we go about our business as far as our work. Certainly there is an increased level of anxiety as again. And what I'm finding as I've asked you this week is that there's almost no hope if you could articulate it, the majority of you would say, if it's this bad now, how bad is it going to be for my children and my grandchildren? For those of you whose anxieties are centered on a nation, no matter your platform, you are experiencing a widespread despair. So where do we turn? We turn in turbulent times to God's Word. Amen? And we specifically turn to the book of Psalms. Psalms was recited, sung, and it was memorized on the Mayflower coming over from Europe as the colonists would found a new nation. The book of Psalms, many of them were chosen to be the third book printed in the United States. When God gave us the book of Psalms, he gave us a tremendously great gift. Now, Christians have a unique resource for handling stress and anxiety. We have a unique resource in so much so that when we utilize it, we can say that our life with suffering, our life with stress, our life with anxiety is better because of Christ, even in those difficult times. And one piece for those of you who are believers and you're interested in spreading Christian belief, Those on the outside, those who have yet to embrace Christ, tell us that if Christians have more poise in stress and anxiety, that's one place that they will listen. They do want to know about the resources that are found in following the God of the Bible. Today, I want us to focus in the next few moments, gathering poise like a heat from a fire, gather around Psalm 121. Almost everything from this psalm is good news. It's like you're a hungry person and you smell whiffs of food being prepared in the kitchen and you say, good things are coming. I'm looking forward to the meal that's happening. In fact, of all the good things in Psalm 121, one of the things I cannot wait to tell you is about the sleeping patterns of God, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Look in three levels, if you will. The first of which we're calling the Lord is my helper. There's two dominant words in Psalm 121, the first of which is helper. In fact, let's just say that together. 
The Lord is my helper. Let's say that like we're awake and like we've got blood flowing in our veins. Can we do that again? The Lord is my helper. Look what it says. It says, I look to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Now, when you were to interview Psalm 121, the author, and you were to say, have you ever heard of someone saying you've overpromised and underdelivered? It's as if the writer of Psalm 121 has never heard of that. Or as Danny told me between services, someone who says you've got more in the showroom and less in the warehouse. Well, you've got in Psalm 121, someone that seemingly has overpromised. Again, look at verse 8. My help comes to the Lord, it says in verse 1, but in verse 8, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Now, what does he mean by that? Hebrew poetry loves to put the opposite of extremes next to one another. You're going out and you're coming in so that everything in between is included. That's exactly what's happening here. This is a overreaching promise. If you're the campaign manager for the political candidate writing Psalm 121, you would reach over and say, if you keep promising that on the stump, you're going to get in the House, you're going to get in the Senate, the House, whatever it is, and you're going to have to deliver. But as if God is saying out of Psalm 121, saying over-promise, under-deliver, me? I'm not even rolled up my sleeves yet. All of Psalm 121 is a sense of encouragement. The first of which, he says, the Lord again is my helper. There's a sense of protection here. There's a huge promise in front of us. In fact, he backs it up. He says, the Lord, I shall not be moved, and you who follow me shall not be moved. In fact, he goes on to say, I will be the one who watches over you by night. I will protect you from the menace of the day. And it's all encompassing at the end. I will protect you from everything and from everyone. He begins by saying, I look to the hills. Now, he's likely on his way to Jerusalem. If you and I were in Jerusalem or in Israel today, you always go up to Jerusalem. You never go down from Jerusalem. You always go up. So is the Ill hills that he sees in verse 1, is that a lair for his enemies to attack the writer of Psalm 121, or is it a place of refuge? Are the hills a place to run to when times of peril are coming? No matter, he says, as he moves from the hills to the one who made the hills. Now, throughout this morning, if you're dealing with anxiety, I'm going to give you at least two important tools to help you face and fight anxiety. Anybody fight anxiety in the room? Okay, six of us. Well, I guess the rest of you can just go on. Two practical tools, the first of which is a link between the Creator and creation. There's a link between the Creator and creation. You'll see at the end of verse 2, I look to the hills. No, I look to God. That's where the help comes from, the maker of heaven and earth. This morning, many of you came here in despite rain, and many of you had rain like we did at my house last night. You would hear the peals of thunder. You would see the flashes of lightning. Scientists tell us that on any given moment, there are 6,000 flashes of lightning around the globe. On any given moment, 6,000. One flash of lightning will appear for 300 millionths of a second. You can see up to 40 strokes 
of lightning and one bolt, if I've got my terminology correct. In fact, one bolt of lightning can be two inches wide. Pastor, how hot can that be? Great question. I'm prepared for that. A <laughs> bolt of lightning can get up to 5,000 degrees Fahrenheit, five times hotter than the surface of the sun. Your house, if I know my electricity and I don't, is powered by 120 volts, but if you were to capture a bolt of lightning, you'd have the ability with its 300 billion volts to power on average 56 homes for a day. But why do I tell you all this about lightning? I tell you because the link between the Creator and its creation. The God that I'm speaking about that comes to your aid, to your assistance, to your anxiety, He rides, a, he rides lightning bolts as chariots. He has just that kind of power. Prior to His arrival at Mount Sinai, Moses knew God was coming because the mountain had lightning and the mountain had peals of thunder. There is a tremendous link between the Creator and His creation. And if you want to fight anxiety, then you're going to know that the God of heaven and earth, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has this kind of power over creation. There's this tight link between it. The disciples learned it 2,000 years ago. Sitting in a boat, experienced fishermen, were rattled because of a storm that was on the sea. They finally woke the Creator up, not knowing He was the Creator, and like water in a bathtub, that 10-mile lake came to a complete still. Waves stopped, wind stopped on a dime. You see, the disciples, Peter, James, John, all of them were refreshed in the link between the Creator and His creation. And they began to understand. Remember what they said? Who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? We need to have a fresh look because the Lord is our helper. Look again in Psalm 121 and in verses 1 and following. And ask yourself this problem, this question. What is this guy's problem? He doesn't tell us specifically. We don't know if it's a king battling problems. We don't know if it's an average guy like you and I experiencing distress. All we know is he has a problem. We don't know it specifically. I asked some of you this week via social media, what gets you anxious? What keeps you up at night? You told me a wide range of things. You told me from not having enough financial resources to meet life, having no control over the future, failing, potentially failing your boss at work. Nikki says she fears large crowds. Karen says she's anxious over any kind of confrontation. Jessica says she experiences extreme anxiety with her ch when her children question their salvation. C Kristen says she struggled with depression, depression since she was a child, and no pastor takes into account mental disorders when preaching on anxiety. And one of the most repeated fears, one of the most repeated fears is for future generations. Almost to a person I'm hearing, if it's this bad now, if it's this turbulent now, what will it be like for my children? What will it be like for my grandchildren? Many of those who are soon-to-be moms or prospective mothers and fathers are questioning whether they should even have children in a nation like ours. There is widespread despair. We are at a point, if hope had a measurement like the stock market, we're in a depression. We are experiencing something that is a, a widespread anxiety. In fact, as we look at this, go back into Psalm 121. 
The psalmist, again, does not tell us what his problem is. It's as if he was about to write it down and God reached down from heaven with a divine eraser and said, no, 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 no. Let's keep him guessing. And I like it that way because as I turn to this, no matter what my problem is, no matter how big my problem is, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the author of Psalm 121 says, I've got this. That's where I draw this hope from. It doesn't matter. And so we think today, and we sing in some of the recent Sundays, we sing about a God who is a prison-shaking Savior. And when we sing about that, I always think about Paul and Silas. Do you know the story in the book of Acts? Paul and Silas were imprisoned in the ancient city of Philippi. And there the two were. They were there not because they did wrong. They were there because of religious persecution, lack of religious freedom. They were spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. So here these two are. And the Bible says around midnight, Paul and Silas, the two of them, began to pray. And they began to sing hymns. I bet if you interviewed the jailer of Philippi, how many times he'd had hymn-singing prisoners, he would say, uh, to the left of zero. But all of a sudden, God sent an earthquake. Do you remember the story? And it shook the prison. He freed Paul and Silas. He did something powerful in the life of the jailer. I'll let you look that up later on. What I want you to see here is that Paul and Silas did not sing praise. They did not pray in response to being free. Uh Uh-uh. No, no, no. Get the sequence right. They sang prior to being free. This God that we serve can come and help, and he is a prison-shaking Savior. The Lord is my helper. Secondly, the Lord is our keeper. The second major operative word in Psalm 121 is the word keep, keeps, or keeper. Now, if you're looking to study the Bible for yourself, let me give you a little tip. Let me give you a little tool. would love for you to do that. Take a section like Psalm 121, verses 1 through 8, and see what is repeating itself. And again, you'll see the word helper. You'll see the word keep. You'll see the word keeps or keeper. In fact, let's just say that together. You ready? The Lord is our keeper. Not my keeper, but our keeper. Now, here's the second great tool. You're going to see it today, the way the Lord keeps us. How repetitive is that word? Well, it appears in verse 3. It appears in verse 4. In verse 5, it just says succinctly, the Lord is our keeper. The word keep or keeper is in verse 7. And one more time in verse 8, the Bible says, the Lord will keep your going out and will keep your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. The God has the, our God has the ability to keep us. Now, there's a protection here. There's a powerful sense of protection. And it appears for us, beginning in verse 3, where the psalmist, he looks down, he sees his feet. And he says, I'm not sure about my path going forward. Anxiety about my path. How do I get from here to where I need to be? And so in the midst of a time where you may stumble, he gives us two pieces here. And this is where your habit may need to change. If you're fighting debilitating anxiety, here's a habit sort of a back door to how to fight anxiety. It's not a magic pill, but it is a powerful tool. Let me show you in the pronouns. Look in verse 1. You're going to find personal pronouns. Yes, the pastor's talking about pronouns, like a grammar teacher. You'll see it first in verse 1. I, I lift up my eyes. From where does my help come? And then in verse 2, my help comes from the Lord. 
But as you get to verse 3, there's a change in pronouns. He goes from the first person to the third person. Do you see it? No longer is he saying my and I, but now he's saying he will not let your foot be moved. From verses 3 through 8, he keeps up the third person. He's consistent with it. Pastor, what's the big deal about this grammar? Here's the big deal. Psalm 121 is not written in a silo. It's not one guy getting away in retreat and writing this. It is a conversation. Is verse 3 a priest showing up and addressing the king or somebody else? The truth is we don't know. But we do know this, that isolated faith, listen to this sentence, isolated faith is weak faith. Isolated faith is weak faith. If you want strong faith, then you will do the opposite of isolating. And the problem for us with the pandemic is that our relationships as a society and a culture were already thin. The generation coming after us, the millennial generation, but not even them, Gen Z, are reporting to us the more they're on social media, the more lonely they are. We should be living in times where the relationship needs to be thick, but relationships are thin. Psalm 121 was written by at least two people gathering together. One potentially who struggled in faith, the other was stronger in faith. And friend, the, always the answer when you're struggling with anxiety is to get around a seasoned believer who will speak into your life and pray with you. Now sometimes you're so relationship thin that you have no one to turn to. I'm convinced some of the need for counselors today, and there's lots of genuine good need for counselors. Sometimes the need is there because we're so relationship thin, we just need to pay someone to listen to us. Nothing wrong with that, that's a good place to start. But there's a need here, a genuine need to gather together when anxiety is, whether it's training wheels or debilitating anxiety. There's a second way, a, a second move the psalmist does here. And I want you to see it because both of which reinforce this habit that needs to change for us. I want you to look at Psalm 121 again. I want you to see the very first words after the words 121, the letters 121, the numbers 121. I'll get it right. Do you see it there prior to the verse 1? Do you see it? You'll find the same title over 121 that you will 120. You'll see that same title over 122 all the way to 134. Each of these psalms speak of these words, a psalm of ascent. Do you see it? A psalm of ascent. Here's what would happen. These psalms were cited, they were sung, they were, they were said and memorized one to another as all the ancient Jewish people would go to Jerusalem on the appointed holidays. If we were Hebrew people of the nation of Israel, God had commanded us of this day and time to gather at Jerusalem to gather around the temple for a holiday. And so we would take time off, and as we took time off, we might come from the northern section of Galilee, we might come from the southern, more desert region of the, of the, of the Dead Sea, and every time we would come, we'd be singing, we'd be reciting, we'd be checking one another's memory. And among the things we would sing is Psalm 121. I might say to you on the way, where does my help come from? And you would say to me, my help comes from the Lord. This is not the only time they were cited. In fact, there's some evidence that inside the city of Jerusalem and what is known as the southern steps, every time they took one of those steps, they would say, 
one of these psalms. I found it interesting this week, I didn't know this, that Neil Armstrong made his way to Israel in 2007. I wasn't aware that the man who first walked on the moon, the man who first said, you know, one small step for man, that whole thing, was reported a believer. And so Armstrong's in Israel about a decade ago, and he turns to his guide and he says to his guide, I want, can you show me one place, one place where we know for certain Jesus stepped in Israel? And the guide took Armstrong to the southern steps. In fact, it's reported that Armstrong got on the ground, he would have been advanced age at age 90, or age 2007, whatever his age was, getting on the ground would not have been easy. He kissed the ground. And then he said to all those there, stepping here is better than stepping on the moon. Isn't that good? In fact, some of you who've been to Israel with me, this next picture, these are the southern steps. This is on the south side of the temple, Herod's temple. It's no longer there. You've gone into what we'd call maybe a large foyer. These steps are about 120 feet in width. The rabbis would have taught in that day and time. Maybe Jesus taught there. In all likelihood, Mary and Joseph with an eight-day-year-old Jesus would have walked these steps so that he would be circumcised back in Luke chapter 3. And so when they took step after step, step 1, Psalm 120, they would have recited to one another. Step 2, Psalm 121. Step 3, you get the picture. From where does my help come from? And you would say to me, my help comes from the Lord. Friend, isolated faith is weak faith. And if you're existing in 2020 and your relationships are thin, you need to add some weight and some heft to your relationships. And they will not come overnight. It takes time to develop those. What you need and what I need is a seasoned believer speaking into my life. I need that and you need that. Have you noticed the anxieties of men are different than the anxieties of women? Yeah, Was it, are men from Mars or women from, whatever that is. The anxieties of men are different than the anxieties. Tracy will worry about relationships. And I'll think to myself, relationship, well, that'll fix itself. What we need is some money. That's what we need, right? <laughs> Every dad in this place, it's what keeps us up at night is money. Oh, we would be better if we were worried about relationships. But this piece here, we see these anxieties. And we need seasoned believers. If you're a young man in this room, a young father, you need to have an older seasoned believer speaking into your life. Listen, if you're struggling with debilitating anxiety, what would it look like if you had an older lady praying with you for 10 minutes? Jesus said to his disciples on one occasion, can you not even pray with me for one hour? So 10 minutes is training wheel. What if a lady who'd been married 30, 40, 50 years and gone through everything that you're going through as a young mother, what if a single person came alongside you and the two of you prayed for years? I imagine it's a difficult time being a police officer right now, wouldn't you think? What if you had a retired police officer, a believer, to come alongside you and pray with you. We need to be relationship heavy rather than relationship thin. Intentional the words are, the Lord is not just my keeper, he is our keeper. God wants to bring us in, he wants to connect with us with one another.
It's one of the great things of Bible fellowship groups. May I just say a word to the gray-headed seasoned people in the room for just a minute? If you're in a Bible study class and they're all your age, praise the Lord. But what if you became like a small missionary? You slipped out of your, out of your age group, the 70-something, the 60-something, the 50-something, and you approach the leadership of a young class and say, I don't, I don't feel like I need to teach. I don't need to organize anything. I just want to hang out. And I want to get to know these young people, these young singles, these young couples. What would that look like? How could the Lord use you in a mighty way? You know what the most anxious people in America today is? Young children whose dads have left them, deserted them. What if you took your fall and paired yourself up with a young man or a young woman to speak into their life? There is something powerful about the stability of having a dad in the home. And we've got ourselves a dad crisis. The Lord is my helper. The Lord is my keeper. Third, the Lord is your savior. Your savior. This is the part I'm anxious for you to see. Anybody in the room ever stay awake at night thinking about, worried about, anxious about things? I had one of those nights this week, right? You, you, you lay there. You're, you've done enough that day. You should go to sleep. There's no reason you shouldn't sleep, and your mind begins to wonder. I'm growing older. Will anybody be around me? Will everybody abandon me? Will anybody take care of my children when I'm gone in this crazy world that's coming off its hinges? And you think, if only I could shut my mind down. Somebody said to me in the first service, I didn't go to sleep till 2 o'clock. I had, again, one of those nights this week. Well, I love verse 4. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Now, if you're one who thinks, well, I'm not Israel. Israel are the people of God. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Miss Smith was an elderly grandmother in England during World War II. And if you know that period of history, Germany would come and bomb London and all the respecting cities in that era. And the night had been another night of bombing. And every morning as they woke up, they would begin to assemble and identify who was dead and who was living. And nobody could find this elderly grandmother. They just located, you couldn't locate her anywhere until they went to her bedroom. And they found that this elderly grandmother was still asleep. And so they woke her up. They said, how in the world can you be sleeping after a bombing like this. And she said, well, I read in my Bible that he who keeps you will neither slumber nor sleep. And I just didn't think that both of us should stay awake all night. <laughs> now, that's one of those stories that ain't true it should be. I love that. Why am I staying up all night when he's already promised to do so? Now, if you walk by a mattress store, you'll never find Jesus sleeping on one, trying it out, fluffing up the pillow. If you were with Jesus while watching commercials, he would never pay attention to a sleep number bed ad. If you were to walk into his home in heaven, he does not have a bedroom. He does not have a mattress. He does not sleep. OSHA does not come to God's workroom and say, okay, you've got to take a pause now. You've got to go into your break room. Never once will you find God saying in answer to your prayer, hang on, I'm distracted. I'm a 
having a bad day, a little bit low energy. Could you repeat that again? Because an angel was really loud and I didn't get to hear you. You'll find none of that. In fact, verse 4, God says, I'm on the watch 24-7, 12 months a year, 365 days, 366 during a leap year, 52 weeks a year, 100 years a century, and 10 centuries a millennium. That's just the goodness, the reliability of God. Maybe your mind is saying life is too much right now. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, and if you've embraced him by faith, don't ever say life's too much. Say my Savior is too much. How great is our God. He says, I will not let your foot be moved. I will guard you in the watches of night, and I will guard you by the minutes of day. I will be your shade in the highest noonday sun, and I will be your keeper whether you're going out and whether you're coming in. God did not catch a wink's sleep during the crucifixion. And friend, if he did not sleep during his own son's crucifixion, he will not sleep during your crisis. You know, in the end, what this is about is as if the God of heaven is appearing in front of you and saying, do you see these hands? I've got you. I will not let you go. No one will snatch you out of the strength of these hands. Though your world be a snow globe shaken, I am your rock, I am your stability, I am your fortress. Do you have God? Do you have Christ? You may have been born Hispanic as a Catholic. You may have been born white in North Texas as some kind of evangelical. I'm not asking what you were born as. I'm asking, have you been born again? Have you been embraced Christ by faith? A radical, revolutionary thing that happens in the, somewhere in your life, young, middle, old, where Christ takes hold of you and you take hold of Christ. Thanks for listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org.